0: Today's reading is Colossians 1, verses 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery has been kept hidden for ages and generations Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at you, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord.
1: My name's Phil, I'm the Associate Vicar. It's lovely to have you with us this evening. Keep Colossians 1 open and let's pray as we look at God's Word together. Father God, please would you open our eyes to see the wonderful things that you have written about your glorious Son in your Word, the Bible. Amen. Right, we are thinking actually about serving God today, about ministry appropriately, um, Paul spends this entire section, I'm sure you noticed as the reading uh, was done, that it's all about the pattern, the aim of Paul's ministry. And when we hear a, a passage from the Bible that's all about uh, how Paul or, or one of the other apostles engaged in ministry, it does tend to, um, to raise a question in our minds. Not a theological question so much as an existential question. Why am I here to hear this? I mean, what is the relevance of it? Why bother with this? Actually, it is hugely relevant to hear how Paul went about his ministry for two reasons. And that applies to every single one of us who is watching. First, if you want to have a genuine connection with God, if you want to develop a a deep, and a mature and a rich spirituality. This is how it happens. You need this kind of ministry if you want to grow. So look for a church is the first thing we'll learn. Look for a church where this is kind of how things take place. This is what they engage in. If you want to grow, get this. But secondly, this, this is also going to show us how to be spiritually useful to other people. How do you live a life that makes a difference and leaves a legacy? Not just uh, when you think about uh, when I'm you know, 60, 70 and I look back on my life, how will I be sure I've left a legacy that lasts? But when you stand in eternity with your feet in a very different stream of time. Well, this tells you how to live now in a way that there, then, you'll look back on and think, I'm so glad I invested myself in this. And what we'll see is that whether ministry is a, a career, quote unquote, or, or whether you uh, serve uh, leading a, a small group, Bible study, that kind of thing, um, or Sunday school group, or you raise children, or teaching your godchildren about Jesus, or, or you're trying to be an encouraging friend who disciples others. Where here is how to do it in a way that God calls you to in a way that honors him and in a way which will truly bless and benefit others. So three things we'll learn. We'll learn the pattern of ministry is a suffering servant of the suffering savior. We'll learn that the proclamation of ministry is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we'll learn that the purpose of ministry is to present you mature in Christ. That's how we'll work our way through it. So firstly, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This verse is undeniably hard to understand, but it is a whole heap harder to live out. Now Paul explains in this verse that the pattern of his ministry, in fact the pattern of any faithful service to Jesus, involves being the suffering servant of a suffering saviour. Suffering servant of a suffering saviour. That's what it involves. Now, he's not saying that something was lacking in Jesus' atonement for sin. Look, Jesus on the cross, he paid for 95% of your sin, but there's still 5% for you to pay, and you pay it off by basically having a grotty life. That's not what he's saying. Paul always celebrates that Jesus' death achieves everything Uh, look at verses we'll see next week just over the page Colossians 2 verse 13 when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us he's taken it away nailing it to the cross talks about the cross being triumphant in verse 15 the cross was total victory complete forgiveness absolutely nothing was left to pay Okay, so what's going on here? Well, the central act of Jesus' life was well, it was to serve us by dying for us. And it is no great surprise in that sense to find that Well, suffering is also the pattern for ministry to Jesus as we serve him afterwards. The destination of the Christian life is unbroken pleasure eternal, unbounded joy with God forever in paradise. That's the destination. But the road is a road marked with both joy and suffering. And that is especially true as we seek to serve God, as we minister. You see, there is value in suffering. That is something that I think we, we don't fully understand. And if we're honest, most of us don't like to be told. But there is value in suffering. And God knows what he's doing. Jesus walked this way and look what his suffering achieved. So trust God. Christ Jesus suffered to achieve salvation by dying for us. Paul suffers not to achieve salvation, but to proclaim the salvation that Jesus has already achieved. Now it's not just persecution he's talking about. Certainly he endured a lifetime of, of ill treatment, of beatings, of being flogged, stoned, falsely accused, imprisoned, everything. But I think it's about other things as well. It's also the burden of anxiety that comes as as our hearts get opened and we start to care about the eternal fates of other people. And that hurts. And so Paul says in verse 24, effectively what he says is, look, I suffer as I proclaim Christ, and I know I've got a whole lot more to suffer before I've fully discharged my duty. That's what he's saying. Suffering to proclaim salvation, not to achieve it. It's like if you think of a team of researchers working on creating the vaccine at the moment, you can imagine them working pretty long hours. I flipping well hope they're working long hours. We need a vaccine. Um, and they 're un- going to be under huge stress, absence from family, missing holidays, days off cancel, all that kind of thing. When the vaccine is ready, their work is done, and they hand it over. I also hope that the, the team of distributors who they get to, um, to parcel it out to, they work just as hard because you want it taken around to everybody as quickly as possible. so both the researchers and the distributors will be working really hard, they'll be suffering if you like. But the distributors suffering doesn't help create the vaccine at all. The vaccine's already created. Their suffering just helps to share it round. They don't contribute to the making of it. And Paul's suffering doesn't contribute to saving anybody. He doesn't pay for anybody's sins. Jesus did that completely on the cross. Paul's suffering is just necessary to ensure that the cure for sin is spread around. And around the world today, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians are suffering just as Paul did. People are imprisoned and beaten and have their jobs taken away because they, well, are distributing the cure for sin. Telling people about Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has. It doesn't happen here, thank God. But I know many of us endure scorn and ridicule, and some of us know what it is to be condemned as a bigot by family or just ghosted by friends because we told them about Jesus. Now, it is always worth asking, uh, is the reason that I get grief when I tell people about Jesus because I'm just so utterly obnoxious in the way I do it? But even if you are incredibly gracious, even if you are very appropriate at the timing and the manner in which you do it, even then, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised if you find that it's through suffering that you speak about Jesus Christ to others. Others um, may be feeling ground down for different reasons, uh, slogging it out week by week, serving in church, and if we're honest, just seeing no real encouragement. Perhaps in particular, now, serving people who just don't seem to grow, no matter how much we love them, how much we pray for them, how faithfully we teach them, and it's the pain of just seeing them continually wander back into sin. It's suffering. But well, don't give up. And don't give up in spite of the struggles. Keep serving Jesus and serving others. The fact that you're finding it really hard and you're suffering doesn't mean you're doing it wrong necessarily doesn't mean, well, you're not very good at it and God probably doesn't want you to continue. Now, the gospel has always spread through the efforts of suffering servants of the suffering saviour. Secondly, though, secondly, the proclamation of ministry, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Suffering is the context, but it's not the content of Paul's ministry. If we want people to grow, we don't just suffer for them. That doesn't help them. If we want people to grow we need to proclaim Christ Jesus to them. Uh, You could summarize uh, verses 25 to 30 as it encourages a ministry of mystery made manifest for maturity, which I'm sure clarifies it for everybody. Uh, Let's work out what it actually means. Verse 25, I have become its servant, that is the church, its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. As the servant of the church, Paul is tasked by Jesus, present the word of God in all its fullness. And the fullness of the word of God is, verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. At the heart of this teaching of God in fullness is a mystery. Now it's not a puzzle or a paradox in the Bible, it's, it's something that's hidden that has to be revealed. So it's a, if you like, it's a, a room full of treasure and you can tell that the stuff in there and you know certain things about it, but you need somebody to switch on the light to reveal it. The stuff isn't weird, it's just the lights are off. That's what mystery means here. Well, how is uh, how is Christ in you the hope of glory, the mystery, or more simply, uh, chapter two, verse two, the mystery is Christ. How is Christ a mystery hidden for ages and generations past, but now revealed? Well, in lots of ways, but in particular, think of think of everything that's clear in the Old Testament. Well, the character of God is clear. God is holy. God is loving. God is faithful. God is true. God is compassionate. God is almighty, God is just, God is gracious, God is forgiving. All these things are absolutely clear. But what's not clear is how on earth can God both be just, uh, punishing sin in the full, and and forgiving, compassionate, merciful to his people as he's promised? How can he be both those things? That's unclear, it's a mystery. It's clear in the Old Testament that God promises he will come to rescue his people. It's also, clear in the Old Testament that God promises he will send a king descended from David, a human, to rescue his people. Both things are clear. What's unclear is how on earth can both those things happen? Well, Jesus is the mystery revealed because he is fully God and fully man. As to his human nature, he's descended from David, the king, come to rescue. As to his divine nature, he is fully God, God, come to rescue his people. The mystery is revealed because... Jesus is also the place where God's justice and mercy meet perfectly. On the cross, God punishes sin in full. He doesn't ignore it. You know, just say, oh, let's just, yeah, let's just call it quits. No, he punishes sin in full, so he is just. But he punishes the sin in the person of Jesus Christ. He takes all the sin upon himself, so there's nothing left to punish. And so God is forgiving. Jesus is the key, the answer, the mystery. Jesus is the light switched on. Now, more amazing still, we learn here that uh, this glorious Christ is not out there, but by his spirit, when you put your trust in him, he is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Christ who is in you, amazingly, is the Christ who is in heaven. So he is your golden ticket, your guarantee. If if he is in heaven and he is in me, then I will join him in paradise. It's very hard to to explain. Uh, You could imagine trying to drive into Buckingham Palace. And don't try it, you have to pay the congestion charge now, even on a Sunday, 15 quid, and it's not worth it because you won't get in. Because when you arrive at the gates of Buckingham Palace, some large men with even larger machine guns will tap on the window of your car and say, and who is in this car? Turn around on your bike, son, and send you off. And you'd be well advised to to go quickly because they have large machine guns. However, should you decide to try it and you're driving down Park Lane... Thinking, right, I'm just going to drive into Buckingham Palace. And as you're driving down Park Lane, you spy on the side of the road um, a rather short old lady with grey hair. And she's standing at the side of the road, sticking her thumb out, asking for a lift. I'll give her a lift. She gets in and waves along the window, saying, oh, I think I recognise her. And as you get to the gates, it's, oh, Your Majesty. But then when they tap on the window and say, and who's in the car? Mom, the gates will open. Because the queen is in the car and she has the right to be in there. When you approach the slightly more intimidating gates of God's heavenly paradise kingdom, who is in the car? Who is in you? Christ. He's not just, well, I kind of know about Jesus and I, and I hope I'm going to be all right. I hope he puts in a good word for me. I hope he's left my name on the door. No, 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 Christ is in you. The hope of glory. He is the guarantee of your acceptance into eternal paradise. He has every right to be in there, and he is in you, so you will join him. He is the seed of the the immortal body that this decaying shell will one day become. He is the holiness that is growing inside, slowly driving out the filth and the bitterness and, and the greed and the shallowness. He is the inheritance that is one day your riches, He is the happiness that is slowly overwhelming all that is sad and sorrowful in our lives, driving it out as the sunrise banishes shadows. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul said, given that, oh, I just proclaim Christ. Why would I proclaim anything else? Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, when he says him we proclaim, it's not a sort of trite reductionist thing. The only thing Paul says is Christ. You know, Paul, we're struggling with our marriage. Uh, what help can you offer? Christ. Uh, Paul, we're, we're not sure whether we should obey the government restrictions on churches in COVID or, or whether these are unreasonable. What's the answer, Paul? Christ. You know, it's... Now, what he's saying is that in Christ are all the riches of the fullness of God. And so if you want to to know God, if you want to know what is rich and true, what your soul aches for, then dive deeper into the knowledge, the riches of Christ, his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection. All the truth that you long for is found in Jesus and so if you want to grow and if you want to help others grow, proclaim Christ to them and learn Christ for yourself. The, uh, the deepest hole dug by humans with their own hands is the Kimberley Mine. In 1871, they found diamonds on the surface of the ground in South Africa. What they didn't do was pick up the diamond and say, that's nice, and then move on to look for diamonds on the ground somewhere else. Now, having found diamonds on the ground, they started to dig down, and they dug, and they dug, and they dug, and 1100 meters down, they're still finding diamonds. When you found Christ, and he's given you forgiveness, you don't just, okay, that's fine, you know, that's job done, I can now get on with the rest of my life. No, you dig down. Oh, here is the answer to all the human heart's longings. Here is the answer to, to all that God has for us. Dig down deep into Christ. There is no greater treasure. Teaching others about Christ is hard work, verse 29, Paul warns us. But God enables us, and we only really know how powerful God is when we we start working hard. Then we see what he can do. Well, lastly, thirdly, the purpose of ministry is presenting people mature in Christ. The purpose of ministry, as Paul has said in verse 28, is that people grow to maturity in Jesus Christ. And sadly, many churches are full of overgrown babies. People who've been Christians for years, but haven't grown in decades. Uh, Raised in a Christian home, perhaps. But even in adult life, they're like a toddler when it comes to matters of faith. The equivalent of a 25-year-old man lying there gurgling gaga, needing needing to be cleaned, fed, washed, protected, clothed. Paul says, I don't want that for you. I want something better for you. He wants maturity. And so he encourages them to dig deep into the message of Christ. And then in 2, 1 to 3, he starts to spell out a little bit of what that maturity looks like. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and those at Laodicea And for all who've not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, and may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No one grows mature without encouragement, and part of Paul's reason for writing is to give them the encouragement that that he cares enough to be working hard, praying for them, uh, writing to them, teaching them so that they'll be mature and strong and, uh, and won't be dragged away by false teaching. And as well as encouraged in heart, he wants the church to be united Now, literally, uh, the second half of verse 2 reads, knitted together as one in love and knitted together in all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. So you know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, later on in chapter 3, 14, Paul will say, our love for one another as a church, it bonds us together in unity. But as well as a, a uniting attitude of love towards one another... Paul says we need to grow mature in our understanding so that we have a unity of understanding of knowledge of the gospel. And it is important that our unity is not just an attitude of love, but is also a shared conviction of the truth of the gospel. Well, because there are those who are not teaching the truth, and they can be very, very persuasive to those whose faith is shallow. Look at verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. We'll think more about what they're teaching next week. But the deeper we grow together in understanding of the truth about Jesus Christ, the less likely we will get confused and wander off and and get ourselves in trouble. And thankfully, uh, Paul doesn't see a church that's been destroyed yet in Colossae. Love a happy ending, and we get one in verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now in these verses, Paul basically says, look, there is nothing richer and better than the maturity that develops in Christians who have been faithfully taught about Jesus Christ and who are grounded in and digging down deep into Jesus. You can think of it like this. Uh, Before COVID, whatever the technical term is for days before COVID, we'd always do men's weekends as a church. And we go away, um, what goes on tour stays on tour, but there's always a bonfire. There's always a bonfire. And uh, there just has to be. And some years, it's not very impressive. Uh, It's not for want of trying. A group of men and fires, there's just... Anyway, there's always going to be lots of opinions and lots of people uh, poking the fire and, uh, and fanning the flames and throwing on kindling and doing everything they can. But some years it just never takes. And people are furiously fanning. But as soon as they stop fanning, it just dies down. Slightest gust of wind or a couple of drops of rain and the whole thing fizzles out completely. Other years, there's, uh, there's somebody there who knows a thing or two about survival skills and really knows how to get a big fire built or gets a can of petrol, as sometimes happens. And, and there's a huge, blazing, happy bonfire that, uh, you know, planes are coming into land. It's, it's that bright. It's, it's just fabulous. And, and instead of requiring everybody else's you know, help and attention to get the thing going, instead it it serves us. We we stand around and we just enjoy the heat and the warmth and the light. It's fabulous. And the wind blows, just makes the fire stronger. The rain falls, just evaporates. And Paul's view of the mature Christian, the mature church is like that second kind of fire. And that's what he's saying in this passage. Don't be like the first kind of fire. He says be like the second kind of fire, uh, a Christian who is healthy and strong and firm with a, with a rich knowledge of the truth, so not blown away from Jesus by every latest fad of, of slightly strange teaching, but with a deep grasp, too, of the hope of Christ to able to serve others, not always reliant on, on everybody else just to keep the flickering flame of faith going, instead burning brightly and clearly serving others, showing the light of Christ to the world. And the Bible's teaching about Jesus Christ is the fuel for the fire. So seek to dig deep into the truth about Jesus yourself. Find a church where, where Jesus is the main focus of what is taught. Not just Jesus as the means to the end. You know, if you... If you've, Put your trust in Jesus, uh, your life will get better and he, he will help you with the things that you're really bothered about. But more than that, Jesus is the end in himself. Jesus is so glorious, so rich that you, you don't use Jesus to get the life you want. No, Jesus is the life you want. That's what you need. The glorious, all-sufficient Jesus is what Paul holds up for us in this passage. Seek to be taught that. Seek to grow in the knowledge of that so you become that blazing fire. And seek the training and help you need so that you don't only benefit from a ministry like Paul's but that you follow that pattern yourself, willing to suffer, to proclaim the truth about Jesus, to see others grow rich and mature in Christ. Proclaiming Christ is the ultimate focus of a life that will look well-lived on the other side of eternity a life that truly blesses and serves others, a life that God will reward. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Help us, we pray, to understand more of Christ, whether we're new to these things or familiar with them. Help us to dig deeply into the truth about him that we might grow mature and happy that we might be those who are able to serve others for your great glory's sake. Amen.